0: surprise it's a bonus episode from the past and the curious we just released an episode on monday uh and normally we're a monthly release but um the following friday i got another episode out because this is a story that i've wanted to tell for a long time and uh i had it slotted in somewhere else and something else wound up in its place And I had it, and I just wanted to do something with it, so I thought I would record it, do a quick edit on it, and share it with you. It's about a man named Henry Knox, who is generally not remembered. Uh, That's his name on Fort Knox, if you've ever ever heard of Fort Knox, but um, that's most people's only relationship with him. Unless you happen to be from Boston, because I think they like them a lot up there. So that's going to be the only story in this bonus episode. There's not going to be quiz time, but there is going to be 30 seconds. Uh, In fact, we're actually going to start with You Have 30 Seconds, a submission from my friend Kate. Kate, how about you take it away? One of the great heroes in the Korean War was a U.S. Marine named Sergeant Rackless. Reckless made 51 trips across battle zones carrying munition and evacuating wounded Marines. Reckless received two Purple Hearts for injuries inflicted during these hazardous missions. Reckless saved countless lives, but what made Sergeant Reckless most unique was the fact that she was a horse. Reckless was calm in the midst of chaos. She was taught to step over communication lines and barbed wire and to seek cover when hearing the word incoming. Reckless was the only animal ever to receive an official rank in the U.S. Marine Corps. Kate, that was great. I admit that I made a big mistake by not putting that on the previous episode from last week, episode 57. Thematically, that would have been perfect with all the horse talk, but I'm glad that we fit it in right here. And if you have a you have 30 seconds, you have a you have a you have a 30 seconds, then all you got to do is uh, make a voice recording and send it to hello at the past and the curious dot com. We're always collecting them. Now, let's get going with the show. Sometimes it's great to say no to things, and there are many occasions to do so. You should always be prepared to say it, but other times it can be really good to say yes and Henry Knox had a habit of saying yes. It was not uncommon for Mr. Knox to say yes when people asked him to do something even when he had no real idea of how to do it. Those times, he knew he'd just figure it out later and learn it on the spot. And that way, he was a natural-born improviser, not unlike other people featured on the show like Django Reinhardt or Sonny Rollins. But Henry Knox wasn't a musician. He was a bookseller in the 1700s. At least, at first, that's what he did. Pretty soon, he became an important and surprising figure in the American Revolution. Henry Knox was a fixture around Boston, and he was hard to miss because he was a gigantic man, big in every way, not the least of which were his booming voice and boisterous laugh. He seems like the kind of guy that was pretty easy to like, and he was a super hard worker. When his father died, Henry was only nine, and with the family in need of money, he stopped school and worked as a clerk in a bookstore. While there, he also apprenticed to the owner, a bookbinder. Now at this time, in the 1760s, books were hard to come by, and part of working with books meant actually making them. The owner realized that Henry was a smart kid, and an autodidact, meaning someone who studies and learns subjects on their own, outside of a formal education setting. So, he allowed the boy to take books off of the shelves when things were slow, and even take them home to read in depth. Through borrowed books, Henry taught himself French, advanced mathematics, and read many of the great classic works of literature. He also developed a taste for military manuals, which is some uh, notoriously dry reading. By the time he was 21, Henry opened a bookstore of his very own, And it soon became a salon of sorts in boston both american colonists and british soldiers who were quartered in boston frequented the store henry knox was a pioneer in several ways first he priced his books lower than the other stores this brought people in but it also made the books more affordable for the common person secondly he was an early proponent of the book blurb today when you pick up a book at the store or a library what do you do you read the summary and the teaser on the back to get an idea of what it's like on the inside when you crack it open and read the full thing. I don't know about you, but this helps me make a decision, or at least makes me take a deeper look if my curiosity is piqued. But in the 1700s, books just had a cover, most likely with the title and the author. There's nothing else on the outside. They say you can't judge a book by its cover, but at this time, that was especially true. They all pretty much look the same. In an effort to entice interest, Henry would actually paste little summaries onto the book covers to give customers an idea of what treasures, or boring military maneuvers, the book might hold inside. While this was a great idea, being seen and having a good conversation with whoever might be inside the store was perhaps the biggest draw to Knox's bookshop. And from all these visitors and patrons, Henry learned more. He was particularly interested in military matters, specifically artillery, like cannons and mortars. There's a very precise mathematics to it, which military minds studied in depth at the time. If you've ever played the video game, Angry Birds, that's a very basic idea of what's involved. The deep details mattered to Henry because he had recently joined the local militia and would drill with him on the weekends. In 1770, Knox was a first-hand witness of the Boston Massacre. And this, along with the Stamp Act, which raised the prices of his books, and the continuing British occupation of his home in Boston, soured him to the British crown. Now, This was unfortunate for his family life, because his wife Lucy's parents were loyalists, and they did not approve of their daughter's marriage to a rebel but their love was as steadfast as his commitment to the cause of American independence. After the Boston Tea Party, Great Britain sent generals, soldiers, and an entire fleet of ships to Boston. The goal was to subdue the rebellious Americans, shut down the local government, and occupy the town. But after the Battle of Lexington and Concord, the American militias had had it and refused to let them back into the countryside easily again. So everyone was pretty much just at a stalemate, with the British in Boston and the Americans keeping watch all around the surrounding areas. Among other things, there wasn't enough food for the American fighters, the British soldiers, and the citizens of the city. This was making the situation even more tense. When the new commanding general from Virginia showed up in 1775... He was admiring one of the fortifications built to protect the Americans as they held their siege surrounding the city and the British. So, uh, you built this? Uh, yes, Mr. Washington, I sure did. Pretty good, man. Quite the engineer. Oh, thank you. I I dabble. Say, how'd you learn to do this? I taught myself. Did you now? I did, but not just now. It was a while ago. Okay. Well, it says here that you managed the artillery during the Battle of Bunker Hill, which we totally won. Mr. Washington, I don't think I would call that a win. It was a moral victory. Oh, okay, I guess. Uh, But yeah, that was me too. Say, what is it that you do, Mr. Knox? Uh, I I sell books. I mean, at least I did. My shop got looted and destroyed by the British soldiers. Books? That's surprising. Oh, is it? What's surprising about it? Books are awesome. You can learn anything from... Okay, okay, I'm not looking for a lecture. Jeez, what are you, a librarian? No, I'm a bookseller. Sounds like you used to be a bookseller. Ouch. Too soon? Nah, I can take it. Just as I thought. Hey, so I'm in charge here now, and I need a head of artillery. It's probably kind of weird that I'm about to offer the job to a bookseller with almost no military experience, but I like the cut of your jib. I've always been proud of my jib. Don't get cocky, kid. Sorry, go on. Well, I guess what I'm asking is, Henry Knox... Will you be my head of artillery? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Sir, thank you. You'll never regret this. I gotta tell my wife. She'll never believe I'm working for THE George Washington. Oh, oh, by the way, where are all your cannons and stuff? Well, they're just like, you know, 300 miles away, over mountains and rivers and through valleys and forests at Fort Ticonderoga. Fort Ticonderoga? Yeah, I know. Can can you go get them? You're gonna need them. (laughs) Mr. Artillery, Uh, sure, yeah, I'll just go get them. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Going to get these cannons was a completely ludicrous job. Most assumed it was a fool's errand. Henry Knox just saw an opportunity to make a name for himself and thought, yeah, he could figure it out. So he said, yes, I'll go get those cannons. Fort Ticonderoga was recently in British hands, but it had been captured by American forces, including Benedict Arnold. This was before he broke George Washington's heart and became a traitor to the American cause. In Fort Ticonderoga, there were dozens of cannons and mortars, the artillery that George Washington needed so badly to chase the British out of Boston. And now they pretty much belonged to the Americans. But moving these huge iron and brass weapons, many of which weighed over a ton each, was such a hard job that no one wanted to do it. Or really could do it, for that matter. Ticonderoga is on Lake Champlain, near the New York and Vermont border. And let's just say, wintertime can be pretty serious up there. To add insult to injury, Knox would begin his journey from Boston to Ticonderoga on November 16th. He first went south to New York City, and then headed 250 or so miles over mountains, frozen rivers, and forest land to reach the fort. Along the way, he hired men, Hi. acquired horses, Nay. and hired a few oxen. Moo? Once they arrived at the fort, it took a tremendous amount of effort. Days of dangerous and exhausting work in the bleak, windy cold, to, just to get the cannons out of the fort and ready to move back to Boston. All the while, they wanted to maintain the greatest amount of secrecy so the British wouldn't know what they were up to. Now, it's hard to be quiet when you're moving hundreds of tons of heavy artillery with a train, not just of manpower, but actual horsepower. Not to mention, when you're asking every capable man that you meet and trying to find as many horses as possible, word is bound to get around that something's up. The first part of the cannon's journey required sailing down part of the lake in boats. One of the boats immediately began taking on water, probably because it was carrying way more weight than it was built for. So the men bailed her out, rebalanced the precious cargo among the other boats without losing a single cannon and headed off. They were soon met with snow, which meant that they could build sleds and the horses could pull the heavy weight. Along the way, they'd blaze a wide trail, cutting down trees to widen the path for the large train traveling on foot. Once, while crossing a frozen river, the ice gave way underneath the weight of a particularly large cannon, and down it went. But Henry wasn't going to show up with one fewer field piece than he had promised Washington, so they spent a few days getting it up from the frigid river bottom. If you ask the men, they probably would disagree on what was worse than that, making it through the Berkshire Mountains with the dead weight they were hauling, or the mud they had to trudge through when the weather broke and the snow melted. Either way, it was miserable. But they got the job done. By late January, the artillery began to show up near Boston. Henry Knox had assembled a team and done the impossible. Not bad for a young man who most recently had been a bookseller. One morning in March, the British Army woke up to a surprise. When they had gone to sleep the night before, nothing was unusual, nothing was amiss. But when the sun shone the next morning, their wide eyes saw from high points surrounding the city, all of Henry Knox's cannons, which the American soldiers had labored overnight to put into place. Within days, the British, who had been hunkered down in Boston for months, unwilling to leave, well, they got the message and set sail, leaving the city for a season in Canada. Some people thought, hey, that's the end of the war. That's that. Were they right? They were worse than right. They were wrong. The next summer, the British would take New York and spend the next few years running Washington ragged. Henry Knox was there the whole time too, a constant support to Washington and the American Revolution. And he could always credit any future glory to the time that he said yes to the impossible and then made the impossible happen. Okay, bonus episode completed. Yeah, made it happen. I got got it out in like a week. This is not going to happen all the time, so don't get used to it. I just have always wanted to tell this story, and it was a, you know, seemed like a good time to do it. So, I'm Mick Sullivan. This is The Past and the Curious. You are awesome, and I appreciate you listening. Hope you have a good summer. I'll talk to you at the end of the month of July. And I'm going to leave you with 30 seconds from some friends of mine at Mystery Recipe. I recommend you tune in. Probo, (laughs) Probo. Getting ready for the promo. Gotta talk fast. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Mitzi. And we want to tell you all about our podcast, Mystery Recipe from America's Test Kitchen Kids. It's about cooking. And it's jam-packed with trivia, science, and of course, food. Each week features a different kitchen ingredient. Which all leads up to a grand finale cook-along. Will you be able to guess what our mystery recipe is? Listen to Mystery Recipe today, anywhere you get your podcasts. And until then, keep on cooking. Gah! Did it! 30 seconds, what's so.